This is Lab Medicine Rounds, curated podcast for physicians, laboratory professionals, and students. I'm your host, Justin Kreuter, the Bowtied Bandit of Blood, a transfusion medicine pathologist at Mayo Clinic. With tick season upon us, we decided uh, now would be a great time to have a tick talk. <laughs> we'll start with the basics of ticks and work our way through trending topics such as the diseases they carry, testing, and most importantly, how we can protect ourselves from them. Uh, today, we're rounding with Dr. Bobby Pritt, Director of the Clinical Parasitology Laboratory in Mayo Clinic's Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Pritt. Thank you, Justin. It's been it's great to be here. Well, kind of starting with uh, the basics here. Uh, what are ticks? I know there's a lot of different categories. Mm -hmm. So where do ticks fit in the microbiology sure. universe? <laughs> so ticks fall into this general category called arthropods. So that means they're invertebrate animals. They don't have a backbone like we do. They have an exoskeleton instead. And within this phylum of arthropoda, they are further characterized as arachnids. So that means that they are more closely related to spiders and mites than to insects. So in fact, ticks are not insects, despite what most people think and uh, what is commonly a, a, what is a common error when people report on ticks is to call them insects. I've been guilty of that myself. <laughs> you know, what diseases uh, can be transmitted by uh, ticks? Well, there's a whole number of diseases, and they can be broken down by those that are caused by bacteria, those that are caused by viruses, and those that are caused by parasites. And so it's important for people to know which ticks are in their area and which diseases those ticks carry. So just a little bit about ticks, you asked me uh, to t give you a background. They are obligate blood-sucking ectoparasites. It sounds terrible. They are pretty terrible. They require a blood meal in order to go from one stage to the next. So they start off as eggs. They're hatched. They hatch as larvae. And then in order to go from larvae to nymphs and then nymphs to an adult, they need to go out and get a blood meal. So they carry those organisms with them, and when they are feeding on you or me, hopefully not you or me. Which I mean uh, <laughs> competition for them for blood donors. <laughs> or another uh, warm-blooded host, they could potentially transmit those organisms into the host. So for the students and uh, laboratory professionals, clinicians also uh, listening, um, you know, these diseases, what are some of the smart ways we can uh, start thinking about what should I be suspicious of, you know, when we're talking about uh, location, for example? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, people should be familiar with what's in their area. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have these wonderful maps that will show you which ticks are around and what uh, those ticks can potentially carry. So you asked me about diseases. For example, a big tick in North America is the black-legged tick, mm. formerly known as the deer tick, Ixodes scapularis. That little tick can transmit <laughs> um, Borrelia burgdorferi, which is the bacterium that causes Lyme disease. It can transmit also the agents that cause anaplasmosis, Borrelia miyamotoi disease, Powassan virus, Powassan virus fever, and babesiosis. So one tick, one tick bite can be multiple different pathogens. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> I could just imagine, well, I, I remember the complication when I was a student uh, trying to learn this information, mm -hmm. and now as a clinician, uh, when do I need to be suspicious? 
now let's transition and talk about uh, also like timing of yeah. when should I be really concerned about uh, tick-borne disease? When should that kind of move up in my differential? Sure. Well, really the greatest risk is in the spring and summer. That's when the ticks are out and biting, especially as soon as the snow melts, the ticks are going to start coming out and they would have overwintered. So they're hungry. They haven't eaten all winter. So they are going to be out doing a behavior called questing, where they climb up onto the nearest tall grasses and stick their legs out and wait for a host to come by. That could be an animal. It could be one of us. So that's when you're at risk of a tick bite. Now that will continue into the fall until the snow falls, if you are in a region of the country where snow falls. Um, and then they are capable of overwintering until the next year when they come out again. I see, and so if we're in uh, tick season and a uh, clinician is concerned about this, I imagine that given the vast number of diseases that can be caused for by a tick bite, that laboratory testing probably plays a prominent mm -hmm. role in parsing out what is the diagnosis and how should we treat this patient. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. And it can be a bit tricky because there's a number of different tests that the laboratory can provide. That's why we create algorithms for testing. And at Mayo Clinic, we've created an algorithm for testing for tick-borne pathogens based on the part of the country where the patient's living and thus what ticks and what diseases they are potentially exposed to. And we have a number of tests. Some detect antibodies, so the host's immune response to the particular pathogen. Some tests we're looking for the organism itself, like on a blood smear, such as for babesiosis. And sometimes we're using tests such as PCR to detect the actual DNA or RNA of the organism. And because there are all these different tests, it really makes sense to do this in an algorithmic approach, testing for the organisms that are in your area and the, uh, using the test that will be best for that stage of infection. Uh, I see. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners, we're definitely going to uh, link to this algorithm as well as to the CDC website uh, with more information. For more laboratory education, including a listing of live conferences, webinars, and on-demand content, visit news.mayocliniclabs.com forward slash education. Now let's uh, talk maybe for a second about when should I not test? Um, yeah. you know, uh, well, that's a good question because you don't always need to test. Sometimes it's better to just pro, uh, prophylactically treat. Um, and, and there's also instances where testing isn't necessary because there's no indication the patient's been exposed. But let's talk about the times where you're actually worried that your patient is at risk of a tick-borne infection, specifically Lyme disease, because that is the most um, common vector-borne disease in North America. And that's transmitted by that black-legged tick or deer tick. Mm. So if you are in a Lyme disease endemic area and a patient comes in and they have had a tick attached to them for 36 hours or more, and it's that black-legged tick, that Ixodes scapularis, that patient's at risk of having Lyme disease. It takes 36 hours or more for that organism to be transmitted. And so having a tick on you for that period of time makes you worry that that patient could have been exposed. In that situation, you would potentially treat the patient with doxycycline, no need to test for Lyme disease. In fact, it would be too early. The patient wouldn't have had detectable antibodies yet, but they're at risk. So it's better to just treat to be on the safe side. 
Yeah. The other situation would be as if your patient comes in with a classic rash that we call a bullseye rash, erythema migrans. If you are in a Lyme endemic area, that is considered diagnostic for Lyme disease. No need to do testing. Again, it might be falsely negative because it's early on in disease, but you just want to assume the patient has Lyme disease and treat them. That makes sense. When you when we started out for our listeners, uh, Dr. Pritt was telling me that uh, her and her husband actually enjoy going and uh, <laughs> catching ticks, which kind of brings us to an important point. How, how can we protect ourselves from these tick-borne diseases, or how do you and your husband actually protect yourself <laughs> yes. when you go out hunting for these uh, ticks? Right. So when I'm going out looking for ticks, obviously I am doing full protective gear because I do not want to get bitten, although I'm trying to collect them onto a sheet of uh, material where they can grab onto and then I can examine them and test them if needed. But for you and I, um, the folks listening at home, when you're going outside, what do you do to protect yourself? So prevention is key. Obviously, you don't want to have to wait until you've had that tick bite or that tick-borne disease just preventing in general. So I like to refer to what I call the ABCs of tick bite prevention. Mm. So this is actually also available for free, freely available on our website. The ABCs, it's actually A through Z of tick bite prevention, and it's all about ticks. But let me just say the A and B and C. A is avoid. And that's pretty straightforward. You want to avoid the areas where ticks are present. That would be the tall grasses, the uh, forests, forested areas. And so it could be something simple, like if you're going hiking, staying on the trail, rather than going off into the tall grasses on either side. By doing that, you're going to avoid a lot of the ticks that are out there. But that's usually not enough by itself. So I also always recommend B and C. B is bug spray, C is cover up. Bug spray is important to repel the ticks or even kill them. So there's some things you can spray on your skin, such as agents that contain DEET, 30% or more. Spray it on any exposed skin before you go outside. You could also use picaridin. Other agents are available. You could also spray permethrin on your clothing, and that will actually kill ticks on contact. And you could do that the night before. I like to do it before I know I'm going to be going out, really drench my clothing with permethrin. It dries completely odorless, doesn't irritate your skin, and then that will stay good for about eight washes. So if you use that combination of the bug spray and then wearing maybe long clothing, tucking your pants into your socks, that's gonna give the ticks less area where they can grab onto and bite you. Wow. (laughs) That's awesome. I've learned a lot today and uh, I've got two young daughters Mm -hmm. and uh, for sure when we go out this summer, we're going to be a little different than we were last summer. I was wondering if you could take us home these uh, lab medicine rounds. What are the key takeaways do you think our learners should uh, take away from today's podcast? Yeah, sure. Well, first, I'll just remind everyone ticks are these obligate blood-sucking ectoparasites. So they are out for your blood and you want to avoid them. And when they bite you, they can transmit disease-causing agents into your body and cause some pretty serious diseases. And the types of ticks and the pathogens they carry vary from state to state. 
in the United States. So it's helpful for physicians and patients and laboratorians to know what diseases are in their area and to know the signs and symptoms of those diseases. For example, fever and rash are big ones in the summertime. Also, testing for tick-borne diseases can involve a number of different types of testing, and therefore it's very useful to use an algorithmic approach based on the organisms that are present in your area carried by your local ticks. And last, preventing tick bites is the best way to prevent tick-borne diseases. Fantastic. Thank you so much. We've been rounding today with uh, Dr. Pritt about ticks. Thank you for taking the time to discuss this topic with us. Be sure to check out the ABCs of ticks on news.bayocliniclabs.com forward slash ticks for more detailed information about this topic. Thank you for joining us today. We invite you to share your thoughts and suggestions via email at mcleducation at mayo.edu. If you have enjoyed Lab Medicine Rounds podcast, please subscribe. Until our next rounds together, we encourage you to continue to connect lab medicine and clinical practice through insightful conversations. Mm -hmm.